Welcome all of you, ladies and gents, uh, lovers of football, to episode eight of our game. Um, it's the end of the international break and we're very excited to bring you this episode. Once again, I'm your co-host, Utlutleng uh, Mukhatle, and I'm joined by my uh, big brother, Mukhatle Mukhatle. Um, how are you doing, mate? I'm very well, brother. Thanks for the introduction. It's good to be here. It's good to kick off episode eight. And uh, yeah, I think we've got quite an exciting episode for you guys as we always do. We're going to be discussing a, a lot of interesting things, but most especially now as the international break has come to an end, we have got some blockbuster football coming up over the next week from some serious European football to the Champions League getting back in action. Um, this, by the way, all in a time of COVID. And uh, yeah, but later on in the episode, we'll be chatting about some of the aspiring young coaches that have come through the ranks and uh, names that we knew long before they became coaches, household names. And yeah, we'll also discuss a bit more of a contentious point within the leadership of football, which I look forward to grappling with you. Um, but yeah, how are you doing, man? How's, how's everything there in Manchester? Yeah, things are going well. Um, I think English fans are, or people in Manchester are not so keen to watch their team this upcoming weekend against uh, Newcastle United, especially if Harry Maguire starts the game. Um, he got his red card. <laughs> another howler yesterday with a red card against Denmark, um, which allowed Denmark to win the game at Wembley. Um, and also my my one of my favourite players, Christian Eriksen, of course, to score the winner for, for, for the day. Um, so I think things are a bit tense here. I don't think uh, people are looking forward to the weekend or next weekend's Champions League match in PSG, um, which will be in Paris, actually. So, yeah, things mm, are mm. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good to know because you live, you live in a place where things are extremely delicate. Uh, Crosstown rivals there. It's going to be some fun football coming up. You know, we, we have Man City playing against Arsenal. Um, and that's going to be obviously be a, a very entertaining game. Arsenal have improved quite a lot um, over the last couple of months. And obviously the, the Merseyside derby coming at a time where Everton are playing better than they have in a very long time. Yeah, man, like it's quite, it's quite uh, crazy to think because Everton have never really been considered a favourite for a Merseyside derby, at least since, you know, we started you know, being interested in loving the game of football all, the, all those years ago. And this is for me the first time where I can, you know, think about Merseyside Derby and say, wow, this is a, a fully open game. Uh, maybe maybe eight or 10 years ago in Liverpool were quite a middling club and we were a bit lost at sea. Uh, things were a bit more even, but, you know, in between, uh, before that, and of course, after that, as Liverpool have found their way, um, you know, it's never been such a, yes, the derby has been important for, 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 for those on Merseyside, but... Um, for the city. For the city, yeah, but on the grander scale, I think this is the first Merseyside derby in God knows how long, where both teams are at the top of their, their game, you know, Everton's at the top of the Premier League right now, and of course Liverpool will want to bounce back um, after the shock results uh, against Aston Villa a week and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, look, I think watching these kind of games um, at this time, especially with how Liverpool performed in their last game, which we discussed in the previous episode, it makes it much more of a derby and not just, you know, a cross-town rival match. So I, I, I think it will be a much uh, more closely run competition. You'll probably find a lot of the Liverpool players are going to be 
coming back from international break. And, you know, across Europe, we mustn't forget that this is all happening in a time of COVID. Uh, Juve are sitting without their star man, CR7. He got diagnosed um, positive COVID-19 a few days ago. Um, but of course, outside of the, 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 the UK, we've got some serious matches coming up in Italy. Uh, sure, the Milan derby, uh, I think, is going to be definitely one to watch. What are your thoughts on the game there and maybe a young prediction if you're not going to be too biased? That's the game. It's the game to watch for me. I mean, before I even get into my prediction, we have the old firm derby in Scotland with, between Celtic and Rangers. Uh, we have. Mm. You know, we have uh, Napoli Atalanta, we have Sporting versus Porto in Portugal, um, all on Saturday. So it's going to be a, a really, really crazy way to, to get back to club football. And, you know, mm. lo, lo and behold, uh, we couldn't be happier. Um, but mm. regarding two, the, very, two very attacking teams, Napoli Atalanta, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to watch, especially with Atalanta's form. Atalanta's form, their scoring form, um, and Napoli will want to collect points considering they've handed a 3-0 defeat by the Italian FA um, over the Juventus mm. debacle. Um, mm. But I do think I do think Inter should still be looked at as favourites for the derby. Milan are on a full have a full bouquet of points, uh, uh, nine points from three games. But it must be remembered that you know they come into this game having beaten Spezia, Crotone and uh, Bologna. Two of those uh, two of those teams are uh, promoted teams from, from Serie B and uh, Mi- Milan will be miss- missing Ante Rebic. Uh, Zlatan will obviously be getting back to getting back to the pitch after his diagnosis before the international break. So it would be wrong of me to count Milan as favourites. I think Inter haven't lost a derby since 2016 um, and yes they do have quite a few uh, absentees due to also COVID-19 positive diagnoses but mm. um, on the on the on the on the pitch I can't fault into outside of missing Bastoni and missing Milan Skriniar um, who will probably miss the, who will miss the game due to their Due to their diagnoses, Inter will, will have too much for Milan, and I do predict a two-one win. Milan will probably score, um, but Inter's quality will will come through. For sure, man. I would have given the same prediction. I think purely just from the kind of football that Inter Milan have been playing, the, the way that Conte set his team up recently, you guys do have a lot of absentees. Um, uh, I think this COVID nineteen has depleted the squad quite a bit. But, uh, you know, AC Milan are still relying on on specific players to get them through. So, I, I do see, you know, three points for, for AC4 for Inter Milan, even though it will be hard fought. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's always a tough game, regardless of the form of both teams. So, I look forward to seeing what's going to happen there. And, uh, yeah, give me your quick predictions for Merseyside Derby and uh, the City-Arsenal game. Yeah, starting with Merseyside Derby, I think Everton will want to collect their, their next win on the road but I I doubt Liverpool will allow themselves to lose this game um, that's a team with despite such a crazy result recently that's a team with an extremely strong mentality and they are able to bounce back so I think we'll see a, a 2-2 draw um, there will be goals and I think Everton will want to continue scoring goals Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, for all his fantasy Premier League 
uh, fans out there who want to continue doing <laughs> injustice. Um, but also, it'll be interesting to see James Rodriguez how he deals with with the with the pressure of the game. This is a, he's a guy who's played in all sorts of top level matches from the Clásica in Germany to the to El Clásico in Spain. So he knows what it is to to play in big big games and be decisive. Uh, but I don't foresee a winner here either. I think it'll be two two. And City versus Arsenal. Uh, Man City have been on a kind of a down trajectory. They're missing both Aguero and uh, uh, Gabriel Jesus, so they'll probably play Raheem Sterling up front. Um, the team never struggles to score goals, of course, or never struggles to create chances, but I don't think they've found or have a, a good balance at, at, as it stands. And yes, Arsenal haven't beaten City in the league for at least four, four years, but this is their best chance to do it. Um, no fans, of course, due to COVID. Um, and Arteta was able to beat um, City's press um, in, in the FA Cup, you know, not so long ago. So I think he'll try and replicate that performance and continue the, the tra- positive directory the team is, on, is in right now. Definitely, definitely. I think I see a 2-1 result for the London side. Hard fought though, um, but Obama Young, will come to the fore, as will mm-hmm. Tom Partey, who will you know, hit the ground running. Yeah, I like that. Very well said. Champions League, a couple of good games there as well. Most importantly, or rather first and foremost, uh, Edison Cavani's now PSG against Man United. Yeah, Cavani will have to self-isolate, is still isolating because um, he's a recent mm. arrival into the United Kingdom. So he Probably, I don't know. If, I don't think he'll play this game. Um, and I think I think they mentioned that he's going to take some 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 tests after the seven days. So there's a possibility that he will probably you know be on the bench. Um, but I think outside of that, it'll probably be a good game. I don't really know if Man United will be able to raise their game against you know a PSG that have shown quite a lot of form over the last couple of months. Yeah, I mean, PSG will want to start strong and try and get as far into the Champions League as they did last season. Um, they'll be probably missing Marquinhos, um, but United, with their defence all at sea, um, I, I don't see anything else <laughs> but a pretty comprehensive PSG win, maybe 2-0 or 3-0 actually, if I'm being honest. Um, but my game, my game of the UCL round, match day one, will be Bayern versus Atletico on Wednesday. Agreed, 100%. It's going to be your perfect tactician's battle right there. If you look at the way Bayern Munich play, the way they've set themselves up um, with their new transfers. But, you know, the same old dogged Atletico Madrid, you know, with the few new sparks in the chamber like Luis Suarez, will probably be quite a match for Bayern Munich. Yeah, I, I think so too. Atletico, after starting their season so strongly, they won 6-0 in the first match of La Liga. They've kind of been halted in their tracks, having drawn the next two games 0-0 and reverted back to that sort of form, which has seen them kind of slip quite far behind Real Madrid and Barcelona in consecutive seasons um, due to their inability to score goals. They're still a very stingy team. They're still a Simeone team through and through. Um, but I, I'm, I have more faith in them than I did last season simply because of Suarez's arrival. Um, if he can dovetail well with 
uh, Joao Felix um, and the wingers, especially Koke um, and Carrasco, if they can create good chances for Suarez, this is their best chance yet of actually you know, curing that ill of theirs of not being able to score enough goals. I completely agree. And I think starting against Bayern Munich in match day one of the Champions League is not only a good test, but an opportunity for them to represent themselves in a way that they normally have to start doing in you know the last 16 and uh, you know we can never discount Atletico in the prim- in the Champions League they always you know get into into good positions and in, into the knockout rounds uh, over the last six or seven years if they've reached the finals um, so they're not a team to be you know taken lightly regardless of you know the way that they stack up or the form that they're in um, they are very much a Champions League team. Correct, man. Do you have a prediction for the game, though? I think Bayern will win the game purely because of the form of both teams. Um, the attacking influence and energy that Bayern have showed since the beginning of the season. Um, I mean, they obviously had the shortest um, summer break of all, but they have really gotten out of the, the, the gates. And Bayern Munich are the kind of team who really know how to manage one's off games. We've spoken about that in the previous episodes. We've seen how they handled themselves in the knockout the one saw for knockout stages of the COVID Champions League. But um yeah, I, I, I think Atletico will probably score and it will probably be safe given the way that football is, you know, still new in the season, it would be safe to call for a two one victory to Bayern Munich. Agreed man. Um it'd be nice to see Robert Lewandowski continue scoring. That man just finds different ways of scoring beautiful goals every week. New ways all the time. Yeah, man. Uh, but let's get on to the, the, the meat and drink of today's episode. Um, we'll be talking once again uh, about uh, young coaches in, in, in football, as well as um, black coaches and their opportunities uh, in, in, in football. In fact, the lack thereof of opportunities, um, especially in the United Kingdom, where there is you know, um, a huge amount of ex-players who have pushed to become coaches, who are coaching right now. Um, so yeah, Mahatle, can we maybe start off with discussing the young up-and-coming coaches in football, players who we knew, um, who are now coaching some of football's biggest clubs. Uh, let's start with Pep Guardiola, um, the, the, the pioneer of all of this. Yeah, he's definitely the pioneer. Um, he made coaching look so natural for a coach with as little experience as he did. And, you know, we've only seen more recently other players dovetail into, you know, this young top club coaching um, career. And uh, Pep Guardiola has been doing it for as long as we can remember. I mean, it's been years since we've seen Pep versus Jose Mourinho on the bench. And this is a, a from a very, very young Pep to the Pep we see today. He's actually a very, very seasoned coach. And he really was the trendsetter for a lot of these young coaches because the amount of trophies that he won, the way that he played football, um, I'll always remember how when he was a player, he used to be known as the journeyman for Barcelona, not because he moved clubs, but because of the way he played football. He just enshrined this idea of tiki-taka, fully understanding you know, the way that it, it, it has to always be played, the, the, the Barcelona way. And he so quickly brought that into the mindset of the players of Barcelona who 
had come off a little bit of a difficult spell before he became uh, coach, or obviously with Frank Reichard's success as well. But um, I know that he has had an influence on players like Andrea Polo, who not so long ago referred to him as a role model and said that, you know, Guardiola has shown uh, uh, young coaches how to, to get to the top very, very quickly and coach at the top very, very quickly. Andrea Polo is a first-team coach of Juve. He came in with quite a great surprise um, not long after the Champions League final, having, you know, being the Juve under-23 coach. Um, within six days, he became the first-team coach after Juventus sacked Maurizio Sarri. And uh, he, he's younger than uh, his uh, second-string goalkeeper, the, 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 the very well-known Gigi Buffon. And uh, it's again the influence of Guardiola that has given Perlo the impetus to enforce his views on the game, even without the experience, which, by the way, is a very un-Italian way of thinking. We, as Italian football fans, are very used to you know, young players not getting opportunities, older players playing out of position because they don't want to put the young player who is rightfully, you know, playing in that position an opportunity. But um, it's been quite interesting to see the tactical flexibility of Andrea Polo. We've only seen him in two professional matches, but um, you can already see that he's not afraid to make mistakes. He's not afraid to make, you know, risky substitutions. And he plays the he you know he plays his team the way that we would see him play um, play the game himself. So I quite look forward to seeing how that's going to turn out. But of course, in the UK we have quite strong influence of of, of coaches there that you know not so long ago we'd see playing in in, in, in the league in the Champions League, most notably Frank Lampard, um, Mikel Arteta. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a stalwart in the Manchester City books, Manchester United books. And um, yeah, maybe you can tell me your thoughts on, on, on those coaches. And of course, the king himself, Zinedine Zidane. Yeah, man. Uh, starting, of, starting in the UK, I think we have Lampard, Arteta, Solskjaer, all coaching Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United all with varying degrees of experience before getting the job and of course varying uh, types of experiences uh, you know Lampard himself you know, uh, came back from the United from the United States um, and started managing Derby County had one good season and you know one could say it was due to Chelsea's uh, uh, transfer ban uh, they didn't really want to they wanted to maybe restart again and you know refresh not only the 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 team itself with younger players but also give the team a younger look a more a more market not marketable but a more palatable look in terms of mm. going forward um when it comes to a more accessible appeal. more accessible look yeah and um, just a way to maintain freshness and um, and maybe turn the page on uh, hiring expensive managers, um, hiring vastly experienced managers, um, and maybe something that could allow the club to think in a much more uh, long-term, uh, with a much more long-term vision in mind. Um, and so far, I mean, he's had one full season at Chelsea, and all in all, uh, you know, with the with the 
with the issues that the club was facing at the time. It's been a success, of course, the, the transfer deals that they've been able to pull off in the last two, three months, we've spoken about at great length already. Um, but Chelsea is a club that is looking looking up and I think Lampard is at the forefront of that. He's bold, he's not afraid to make his voice heard on the touchline as, we, as we've seen once or twice. Um, mm. And yeah, he seems to be quite a, a, a solid man manager. When it comes to tactics, I think he still has a lot to learn. Um, he's been He's been prone to making a few tactical errors um, from playing players out of position to you know, maybe not being able to have players play at their at their best levels. You know, we think of Ngolo Kante, um, we see uh, Kai Havertz now already not not playing in his best position despite such a huge um, outlay for him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what what he's able to do with with this new face, new faced Chelsea side. Um, Mikel Arteta for me is probably has probably been my favourite hire in the UK um, in the last year or two, um, especially from a, from the perspective of young younger coaches with less experience, less coaching experience. And mm. my reason is, you know, he did his apprenticeship with with Pep at Man City, and you know he's been able to take lessons off of that. He, you could see he was a very solid and strong number two or assistant manager um, who would be unafraid to make his voice heard with with when dealing with Pep. Um, and he's been able to expand on that at, and also rejuvenate Arsenal Football Club, at least on the playing level, um, on, on the, at a football level. Um, we see players, you know, pulling off things that we weren't sure that they were able to do. Playing out from the back uh, has, been, has been such a great thing to watch Arsenal do um, in the last six months or so and the best example for me was against Pep's uh, Man City mm-hmm. FA Cup yeah. months back um, and again we spoke about it at the beginning of this episode this is an Arsenal on the way on the way up and from a tactical perspective yes they're still playing at least on paper a 4-3-3 yes they're still you know sticking to their guns um, ideologically and idealistically but you know, on the ground, when you actually see Arsenal play, it has, you see a bit of Arsene Wenger's side there, you know, a, a lot of a lot of touches, but in the right areas of the pitch. Um, but we also see the ruthlessness um, of a Pep side as well in the final third. Um, so mm. that's what excites me about Arsenal now. Um, and I think if they can continue on this trajectory, we, we could be talking about towards the end of the season, at least, at least a third place finish. Um, and maybe pushing Liverpool and Man City on paper um, um, in a season or two. I must say, you know, if you take these coaches' lives into perspective, you refer to man management and you refer to tactics. We'll get into Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in a moment because I know you had quite a bit to say about the way he set his team up um, two weeks ago before the international break, but I think Tactics are probably the biggest learning curve for these young coaches. Um, but if you look at the way that they manage their team, I don't know, would you think that the man management, uh, you know, player relationship, um, you know, is an advantage for these young coaches? Uh, not only because, you know, they can see them at the same level whilst still demanding respect, um, but also still understand the football that they're playing because they've played that football not so long ago. You know, you touch on a very good and interesting point. Um, and when it comes to man management, you can't look any further than Zinedine Zidane. 
he's played in he played in the best teams of his era um, from the Juventuses to the front sides um, to the Real Madrid sides and one thing that I'm sure he understood and understands very very well is you can't teach old dogs new tricks he's not going to dress he has never gone into the Real Madrid dressing room and you can't re- and taught uh, Cristiano Ronaldo how to play football um, and taught a Luka Modric how to play football and taught a Karim Benzema how to play football it's just it's simply been about man management isn't just about making players feel good and treating them well psychologically and making them you know feel important as well it's also about making sure that they feel that their footballing abilities and capabilities are number one respected but are also being complemented by the other 10 players on the pitch um, and I think that's what Zidane has been able to do so incredibly well so much so that you know pundits other managers etc they've been very unsure in labeling Real Madrid's uh, style of football yet they still win trophies yet they still are able to you know collect goals um, at an incredible rate compared to Real Madrid sides of the past and um, even maybe arguably better Madrid sides of the past sides like Mourinho's side sides such as Ancelotti's side um, and I think that's what Zidane uh, is so successful with is his ability to not say too much, not tend to overdo things, um, and you know just let things flow as as they should. For a club of that size, you do not want to create issues and create rifts um, at, at playing level. You you just want to make sure that each and every member of staff, from playing staff to um, backroom staff, etc., feels as important as possible um, and is able to express themselves, which is what Zidane is. Harmony, harmony, harmony. And what Sudan's been able to do so brilliantly um, since his arrival, and even today, it's still quite weird to see him on the side of the, of the pitch um, as a coach. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not like he has a a, a, a known philosophy, a la Pep or a la potentially Andrea Polo. Yet his sides mm-hmm. still do the business, um, and you never really hear of Real Madrid sides in disarray um, from a dressing room perspective, which we did see with. Um, even more, or what, much more uh, successful managers, uh, gentlemen like Mourinho and, and the rest. So, yeah, man, I think I think that's what Zidane has has succeeded with, and I think a lot of coaches, young and old, would do a lot, would do well to learn or to learn from him in terms of his ability to maintain uh, dressing room harmony. Agreed, agreed. You know, we speak about the harmony, and I love how you mentioned there that. You know, Zidane doesn't really have a playing style if you compare him to someone like Pep Guardiola. Zidane has won <laughs> copious amounts of Champions League trophies, but you could never really figure out, based on the way his teams line, lined up, the way that they play. And one thing that he's done, which has differentiated him from a lot of other coaches, is being able to position players who are playing at the best of their ability rather than having a rigorous predetermined form within which he wants the tactics to be set up. And that's again another reason why the players always felt like they're expressing themselves. I mean, you probably know all too well as an Italian football fan how quickly players complain or, you know, try and aver that they are not necessarily able to express themselves because of the way that the coach is setting up the team. But you know, it's never really been a problem. Although we saw 
some issues with Real Madrid in the knockout stages of the Champions League last year. Um, but truth must be said, Zinedine Zidane, in a short time of coaching, I haven't really done a trophy count, but just from the amount of success that he's garnered in the period that he's been the first team coach, can probably already be compared just from a trophy haul to um, Pep Guardiola. Oh, he's already won more Champions Leagues than than Pep as well. So, in a short time, um, and I think when it comes to the journey as a coach, Zidane has definitely had the most organic journey. Um, you know, from a perspective of you know earning his stripes. Um, of course, a player of his reputation outside of you know doing a coaching course, etc. Didn't really have to do much to garner um, respect in terms of what he'd achieved in the game as a player, um, especially in comparison to the other uh, the other, uh, other five managers we've, we've mentioned. Um, but Zidane was coach of Real Madrid Castilla for two years. Um, he was also uh, the sporting director of Real Madrid as well. Um, so he mm. owes the the club Real Madrid he knows he knows, he knows the back staff as well as he knows the players on the field exactly I mean the story of how he signed Rafael Varane and, um, speaks volumes you know he was still the Madrid um, sporting director at the time and you know he flew to France Varane was still playing for for Lance at the time when he was still just a young teenager and you know he you know he went to France and flew on his plane and said hey man I need you to to come and sign for Madrid and obviously laid out the plan for the player um, and of course for the club for the next few years and Varane is obviously obviously one of the best centre-backs in the world today but just his you know his ability to connect um, you know when he was sporting director he was he travelled with the first team regularly he participated in pre-match gatherings training sessions and meetings with the head coach which was Mourinho at the time um, and he was even appointed as Ancelotti's assistant um, in that in that Champions League winning season, so he's literally been part of every or the most important uh, football roles within the club, from obviously a player to management to the management side of things. Um, and he's obviously seen what Madrid was like for him as a player, um, and when he was at Real Madrid, especially after they won the Champions League in 2002, Madrid was not a picture of of calm. Um, or of uh, of harmony. Of course, they had the Galacticos at the time, but they would go through managers. They didn't win a trophy after that uh, 2003 league title, you know, um, until his retirement. You know, so obviously he's he has seen all sides of things and has seeked to to improve on everything. Um, and I think he's been overall extremely successful so far. Yes, we talk about Pep as you know the uh, the blueprint for young managers, um, but we should also never forget to mention Zidane, who, as we say, doesn't really have a, uh, a football philosophy, you know, on-pitch philosophy compared to his his uh, counterpart, but definitely in terms of management, yeah, I, I, I can't look any further. Couldn't have said it better, man. And it's amazing how this conversation started with Pep, but ended with Zizou. And uh, I myself still get you know, a little bit of tingles when I see him suiting up and standing on the sideline watching the Galacticos play. I suppose they still are the Galacticos. Um, but yeah, speaking of that leadership, he's 
obviously been given a very very strong um, foundation to stand on and been given a you know amazing club within which to learn the ropes from pillar to post and unfortunately we can't really say the same for many up and coming coaches um you'll notice there that i i'm swiftly moving on to a slightly similar but different topic even though i uh, didn't give you the opportunity to say much about Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer but um i have a stat for you i don't know if you know i'm sure you do but there's only currently six black or non-white head coaches in the 92 professional clubs in the UK that's a startling statistic and to be honest i'm not very surprised um you know this topic we're speaking about it um in what has been an extremely difficult year um when it comes to race relations um not just in the United States which has obviously been the most prominent but everywhere from the UK to our home country South Africa um and any and everywhere else you know there've been issues that have reached um the press you know about you know incidents to uh, general institutional issues um that you know we need to be very swift in in dealing with um as soon as possible um and even in the sport we love football we you know um we've obviously seen racism hardly we've obviously seen racism um on the pitch players dealing with um fans um from Italy to Spain to England you know um and we've seen these sorts of issues rear their ugly head on, in the game but from a management perspective it is quite appalling that there are so few black managers um across the 92 professional uh, uh teams in the United Kingdom yeah it is it is it is appalling um you know we often find ourselves looking up to you know the 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 educators of the game the tacticians of the game and um we don't even think about the fact that you know all of these coaches not only the ones that we've mentioned but historically you know are, are non-white players and or coaches and it's definitely not to say that there's a problem that you know those coaches are are um you know white coaches but the issue is the statistics um the issue is the numbers because we are not seeing any modern reform uh within the managerial and you know back office that we we also not seeing on the field you know the racism that we we're, we're dealing with one also has to start asking the question and again I'm, i i i i'm not saying it you know but one has to start asking the question of what kind of decisions are made um if decisions are so poorly executed when there is racism on 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 the field um Raheem Sterling made a, a very interesting point I think earlier in this year in March or April saying that players and football fans don't have enough black managers to aspire to you know the same way we mentioned Perlo a moment ago um having that reference point in Pep Guardiola take nothing away from you know those coaches but fans and players also need to be able to relate especially if this is something that they may want to 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 do um you know in 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 their careers or in their futures players need to be able to know that it is possible and right now 
at a high level that reference point is there and i must be completely honest with you the six black or non white coaches if you were to put a gun to my head and tell me to name any one of the six i'd probably put myself in a little bit of a, a spot of bother correct man i mean off the top of my head i can only think of chris hutton in the premier league um who has recently managed a premier league side um but of course if we look deeper all those managers/coaches will be um in the lower leagues um you know the story of Saul Campbell is one which actually um rankles because much like a Frank Lampard much like a uh, a Steven Gerrard uh etc you know, this is a player with an incredible playing CV um and you know we've seen opportunities uh you know less talented players in the United Kingdom's football uh system have been given from Brendan Rodgers to even the Arsenal Wengers and Alex Ferguson's of the world you know they weren't very good players um and they were able to garner opportunities that black players will never get at this rate um and yes there has been a football association um equi- equality action plan which says that 5% of leadership roles and 13% of coaching staff um need to be uh filled in by people from a black asian and minority ethnic background um the f the english football fa also set targets of 11 and 20% respectively for uh, uh the, the year 2021 but you look at sol campbell's journey you know and he's coaching he's coached macclesfield um and then he went on to to coach uh, stockport and these are clubs in the lower lower rungs of of english football um and you compare the same sort of cv to a gentleman like frank lampard um or like a way same the same the same player cv the same but more successful than most exactly um and you know it's it's very disconcerting to see that they haven't been given any shot um in a higher league or in a more uh successful team or a more well-known team or anything like that um you look at Ashley Cole as well he's had to start coaching the Chelsea under 15s um yeah that to his white counterparts you know a few years after they retire they're coaching Chelsea they're coaching Manchester United etc yeah it's a uh, staggering numbers staggering statistics unfortunately the numbers don't lie but we don't have the solution or the answer at this stage um I think about American football and uh, coaches like Tony Dungy who uh, coached the uh, Indianapolis Colts a very very strong complement of black coaches in 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 the NFL history um I don't know the stats but certainly a lot more well known than what we've just discussed but as it stands it is what it is and uh obviously COVID-19 is not the only uh systemic issue in football and uh we can only hope that um you know some of these problems have have solutions behind them in order for people to be able to sit on equal footing within football especially guys like Saul Campbell yeah man um you know even if we look beyond the, the beyond british shores um we still don't see many uh non-white coaches um in Italy and Spain and 
in Germany, etc. Maybe so more so in France because simply from a numbers perspective, there are simply more black people um, who are putting themselves up for coaching positions. But in a country like the UK, where there are a lot of uh, non-white uh, individuals who would like to be involved in the game, who are involved in the game, um, who probably would like a shot at opportunity to coach at a, at a much higher level. Uh, I think a lot, a lot more needs to be done. Um, Raheem Sterling himself, as, as you mentioned, I mean, he's gone and said live that people, he would like to be able to speak up in parliament. Um, you know, he'd like to be able to speak at, to the, to those in the upper echelons of the Man City footballing hierarchy and other clubs across the country. And it's quite crazy to see the the crusade, and I mean this obviously very much positively, the, the crusade that black players in the United Kingdom are on right now. Um, Marcus Rashford with his, with his uh, assistance uh, with regards to uh, food poverty in the United Kingdom and all he's done in the last few months. Um, so obviously these players realize that they are uh, not just football players, but they are um, role models. Um, and not only are they role models, they actually have, you know, power and clout to be able to, you know, push conversations in the right direction and actually have action taken, thus moving in the right direction. Um, agreed, agreed, agreed. I mean, I think it's like in any career where, you know, you need to be able to aspire. You need to be able to not only have mentors, but have someone who or people who have already done it and come from a similar background or experience that you that you're in, um, just so that you can know that it's possible to to get out of it and strive for more. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to a close. I know that it was a little bit of a <laughs> um, deep. <laughs> conversation but one that's very necessary to have yeah man um, i'm just hoping in the next few years you know we see positive uh positive changes with regards to representation in the game um, for sure for sure well are we then not going to see you maybe study your coaching badges and suit up against the zidans and the frank lampards of the world one day yeah, let me earn my stripes first, as I'm doing. Um, and yeah, you know, the sky's the limit for me. I'll never limit myself. Um, so, 100%. Maybe, maybe that is in my future. I would never count it out. Never count it out. Never count it out. Well, I think we've got quite a bit to look forward to in the next couple of days, and uh, I can't wait until our next episode where we can debrief. Uh, right now, I think the slapping dog is Manchester United, unfortunately. But let's hope that they get themselves out of that. Uh, out of that vision hall. Correct, man. I'll catch you for episode nine. Look forward to it, man. And thanks to all the listeners for giving us their time of day and we can't wait to keep the wheels rolling. Take care, guys.